when the ferocious Norman warlord, Bohemund of Taranto, arrived outside the gates of Constantinople in 1097, at the head of tens of thousands of Western Europeans clamouring for war, the Byzantine Emperor Alexius Comnenus had good reason to be nervous. Despite the fact that these newcomers were now nominally allied to the Byzantines, Norman adventurers had been carving out portions of his empire for almost a century, most notably in the now Norman-dominated south of Italy, where Bohemund's father, Robert Guiscard, and his uncle, Roger the Great Count, had risen from humble roots to carve out duchies for themselves in recent years that were arguably now more powerful than their original homelands, not to mention the fact that Alexius had personally dealt with his fair share of opportunistic Normans over the years, both as emperor and before, during his military career as a general. Whilst Bohemund, Robert Guiscard, and the Great Count were arguably the most famous Norman adventurers to capitalise upon the growing Byzantine weakness of the 11th century, others had also tried their luck. Of these, none was more feared than a certain mercenary commander named Roussel de Balliol, who, for a brief time in the 1070s, during the disastrous civil war which followed in the wake of the Byzantine defeat at Manzikert against the Seljuk Turks, managed to carve out a Norman principality for himself at the very heart of Asia Minor, with the modern-day city of Ankara as his capital. Whilst almost nothing is known of Russell's early life before he arrived in Norman Italy, Speculation suggests that he may have been exiled from Normandy for some unrecorded crime. It's unknown exactly when he arrived in Apulia, but by the late 1050s, he was probably, like the other minor lords and knights who had flooded into Italy, seated at his own castle, from where he launched occasional raids upon the local population, whilst also pledging his overall allegiance to Robert Guiscard, the foremost Norman in Italy at the time. Once Guiscard was officially legitimised by the Pope in 1059 through a combination of threats and offers of help in the papacy's struggle against the Holy Roman Empire to the north, the Normans became the most powerful force in southern Italy. In 1060, Guiscard's younger brother, Roger, launched his own invasion of Sicily, which at the time was an independent Islamic kingdom, having been conquered from the Byzantines several centuries earlier by the Fatimids of northern Africa. Whilst it isn't known for certain, given Roussel's later association with Roger, he was probably present for the initial invasion, which went well for the most part, leading to Roger's seizure of Messina on Sicily's northeastern coastline. Further raids and attacks into the interior yielded results, and more and more towns and cities came under Norman control. In June 1063, however, Roger came up against by far the greatest threat to not only his rule, but also to that of all of the Normans in Italy. A vast Islamic alliance of Sicilians and North Africans came together to once and for all cast the Normans out. Roger's army, if it could even be called that, allegedly consisted of no more than 136 mounted knights, supported by a few hundred infantrymen. These were highly skilled, exceptionally well-trained fighters, blooded from a lifetime of warfare. The Islamic army, on the other hand, fielded around 3,000 horsemen, and well over 10,000 infantrymen. Whereas Roger's men were heavily armoured, hardened veterans, the Islamic troops were fairly disorganised and made up of two factions that had previously been warring, one of which, the Zirids, had previously sought Norman help against the other, the Calbids of Sicily. Astonishingly, despite repeated attacks, the Normans held the line and managed to weather the enemy attack 
According to the monk, Geoffrey Malaterra, it was Roussel in particular, serving as a captain under Roger at the time, who distinguished himself with bravery during the battle. After a devastating counter-attack by the Norman knights successfully broke the Sicilian attack, Roussel urged Roger onwards to pursue the fleeing enemy and rout the entire army. The tactic worked, and the Normans spent the next days tracking down and massacring any and all soldiers that they could find. It was a terrible defeat for the Calvids, and one which eventually led to the conquest of Palermo, and eventually, over the next 20 years, with further support from the mainland, and now the Pope in Rome, the entire island fell under the sway of the Normans. Roussel, and indeed all of those present at the Battle of Cerami, were probably regarded as heroes in the aftermath of the battle. Not content to stay in Italy or Sicily, however, by the late 1060s, now commanding somewhere around 3,000 men, a drastic change from the 30 or so he probably commanded at Cerami, Roussel crossed over the Adriatic and entered into the service of the Byzantine Emperor, Romanos IV, as a sword for hire, very possibly with the intention of carving out his own province to rival that of Giscard and the Great Count. The Byzantine Empire had crumbled dramatically in recent years, Gone were the glory days of Constantine and Justinian, when strong imperial armies were the bane of their enemies. By the time Roussel arrived in Constantinople, internal instabilities and a now distinctly ineffective military partly shattered the image of Roman invincibility. Rather than the elite standing armies of earlier ages, at least half of the imperial army was now made up of mercenaries from all over the empire and its border regions. Roussel and his men entered service alongside Scandinavian Varangian guardsmen, nomadic steppe warriors from the Central Asian steppeland, Bulgarians from Eastern Europe, and even contingents of Anglo-Saxon exiles ousted from their original homeland after the recent Norman conquest of England in 1066. Whilst in retrospect it seems entirely possible that Roussel's plan all along had been to simply extort as much money as he could from the Byzantines and even seize his own lands like Roger and Robert had in Italy. He does seem to have served admirably for a handful of years. In 1071, however, after Seljuk Turkic incursions from the east, a vast Byzantine army was raised at Constantinople, personally led by the emperor to engage the Seljuk Turks once and for all. The entirety of Anatolia was still under Byzantine control at this time, and had been for over a millennia since the time of Julius Caesar and the Roman Republic. Romanos's campaign would go on to become one of the most notorious and pivotal campaigns in all of history. A vast force of 40,000 imperial soldiers, along with Bulgarian, Armenian, Georgian and Norman mercenaries, crossed Anatolia to meet the Seljuks at Manzikert on the eastern borders of the empire. Before they even got there, however, internal squabbles within the army allegedly destroyed any semblance of unity. Romanos himself proved to be very unpopular apparently due to him bringing a luxurious baggage train along with him, although this could well be a later exaggeration after his fall from grace. In a clear precursor to the events that would follow, a number of Norman and Frankish mercenaries under Roussel seem to have taken advantage of the march to loot and plunder the local countryside, leading to many of their dismissals by the Emperor. Upon reaching Manzikert, Romanos ordered one of his generals to split off with half of the army, the exact fate of this army is unknown, whether Alp Arslan, the Seljuk Sultan, destroyed them, as Islamic sources say, or whether they simply disbanded and went home due to their commander's political rivalries with Romanos will never be known, but they certainly took no further part in the battle. Sensing when the tide had truly turned against him, Roussel similarly disappeared into the night, 
leaving the Emperor now outnumbered and outmatched by the Seljuks, who annihilated his forces at Manzikert on the 26th of August, in an event which is often seen as the beginning of the end for the Eastern Roman Empire. Despite his treachery, Roussel continued to serve the Byzantines, possibly after approaching one of Romanos's political rivals. Good commanders were in dire need at this time, yet as his countrymen had already shown time and time again, Normans cared little for loyalty, being driven above all else, like their Viking forebears before them, by a quest for wealth and power. Not only did the Byzantines now face a hostile horde of steppe warriors from the east, but they also had to deal with significant internal revolts. Usurpers rose up against the Emperor amidst attempts by the Bulgarians to restore their own state in the Balkans. Just to add to this mess of civil war, over on the Adriatic coastline, Robert Guiscard captured Bari, the last Byzantine possession in Italy, before setting his sights across the Adriatic all the way to the great city of Constantinople itself. It was amidst this crisis and chaos that Emperor Romanos, humbled by his time as a prisoner of the Seljuk Sultan, yet returned to his capital unscathed, was murdered and replaced by his political rival, Michael Dukas. Apparently unaware of Roussel's ambitions, the new emperor sent him deep into Asia Minor with a force of 3,000 Norman heavy cavalrymen. Rather than bolster the local defences in Galatia, however, the Normans instead did what they knew best. They declared their own independent state and prepared to defend it against the sea of enemies around them. In 1074, yet another pretender to the throne, John Ducas, rose up in revolt against the new emperor, Michael. Roussel and his men, apparently in support of their own candidate for the imperial throne, engaged John in battle and defeated his army near Constantinople. Meanwhile, within the great city, largely powerless to act, Emperor Michael opted to pit his enemies against one another by formally ceding lands to the Seljuk warlords Tutush that he had already conquered, with the addition of Roussel's territory. Again sensing when they were out of their depth and with a massive Seljuk army approaching, Roussel and his men slipped out of Galatia to take refuge to the east in Amasia, where they were apparently accepted by the local population so much, probably because they could protect them, that Roussel was made the undisputed governor. It was a young and energetic general named Alexius Comnenus who finally brought Roussel down, using the only tried and tested method that worked against the Normans, bribery and trickery. Roussel toiled in a prison in Constantinople until 1077, when his services were again called upon, when yet another usurper, Nisiphorus Botaniatus, rose up against the Emperor Michael. Just as before, Roussel was given command of a heavy cavalry detachment, with which he quickly defeated Nisiphorus. True to his nature, however, and sensing a potential opportunity, Roussel changed sides to join Nisiphorus's camp, and together they began to prepare for their march on the capital. In response, the Emperor again called upon the Seljuks to put Roussel down, which they did, and this time he wouldn't escape his fate. He had simply rebelled too many times. He was promptly executed, just as Nisiphorus successfully won the crown in early 1078. He ruled for three years in an increasingly unpopular manner and was generally viewed as a tyrant, thus paving the way for yet another usurper to take the throne. This time, an incredibly popular one, and viewed by many as the saviour of the empire. His name was Alexius Comnenus. Yet, even so, Alexius's problems with the Normans 
were only just beginning. This is a brand new podcast, so if you like what you heard, the best way to help the show out is to leave a review on iTunes. This is the best way for new podcasts to grow and for people to find the show. You can also find tons more historical material over on the History Time social media links. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. If you really like what you heard and want to help me to keep making new podcasts, videos and articles, then the best way to help is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash historytimeuk. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll help me to keep making material, get sneak previews of what I'm working on, and gain the opportunity to vote on upcoming videos and podcasts. I'm Pete Kelly, and you've been listening to History Time. See you on the next one.